As you might remember last week, I was talking about uh, uh, praying in different languages, and we got to pray in Spanish. Marcos, you missed it, I'm sorry, but we got to pray in Spanish. Today, my friend Sai is going to uh, be praying in Arabic, so uh, Sai. Okay. Yeah, good morning, everyone. Uh, yeah, I'm just going to make a prayer and then not the translation, but just give you a meaning of, uh, of the prayer. So, uh, okay. So, uh, this is like a vibration. Even if you don't understand what I'm saying, you still get the same benefit. Amana Rasulu Bima Unzila Ilehi Rabbihi Wulmu Aminu Kulun Amana Bilahi Wamala Ikadi Ukutubihi Warosuli La Nufariabu Baina Ahadim Mirosuli Wakalu Semina Wakana Wafranaka Abana Wilekal Masi لا يكلف الله نفسا إلا وسعها لها ما كسبت وعليها ما اكتسبت ربنا لا تؤخنا إن نسينا أو أخطأنا ربنا ولا تحمل علينا إسرا كما حملته على الذين من قبلنا ربنا ولا تحملنا ما لا طاقة لنا به وافعنا وافر لنا وارحمنا أنت مولانا فانصرنا على القوم الكافرين The meaning of the prayer that is short uh, that as we believe in all the prophets and uh, as we believe in the day of judgment, as we believe in the existence of good and bad, at the same time we pray our Lord not to, uh, to test us on things that would be a hardship for us and also to forgive us our sins and our mistakes and also to bless us his, uh, from his, uh, uh, from his, uh, of his mercy. So, uh, yeah, basically that's the, 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 uh, the main purpose of the prayer. So, uh, I don't have translation here with me, but that's the main thing of the prayer, is uh, forgiveness with mercy on us, okay? And do not put on us that which we cannot bear or bear with hardship, okay? Thank you very much for allowing me to share a prayer with you. Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much, Sai. That was wonderful. I really love being a part of that. So hi, everybody. There's a lot of faces that we haven't seen in a really long time and new faces. So I'm really excited to have everyone here. And today is Pentecost, which is so exciting. This is the day that we receive the Holy Spirit. And we have the Holy Spirit present to us because of that. Um, so thank you, Holy Spirit, for being here. <laughs> Um, yeah, I lost my train of thought, sorry. I'm a little tired. Um, yeah, we're really happy to be here together. As you guys know, we've been engaging with the Thy Kingdom Come Global Prayer Movement, and it ends today, 
That does not mean you have to stop praying for the people that you were praying for. <laughs> I'm sure that they would really appreciate you continuing to pray for them. But um, as we will continue to pray for the five areas that we've been praying for here. Um, so yeah, and even though the Thy Kingdom Come prayer movement is over, we are still doing Tuesday night prayer meetings here from 7 to 8 p.m. We would love to have you guys here. Um, and youth group is off for the summer. We will meet back up in July the 2nd? The 12th? Oh, right. Not the 4th of July weekend. The weekend afterwards. So you guys enjoy your summer. Congratulations to all the students that have made it through another school year. You did it. Now you can relax. <laughs> and parents, maybe you can relax too a little bit. Or maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah. So we're really excited for summer. Luis also wants to mention that if anybody else is interested in praying in another language, I know there's a lot of people here that um, have been to places that have really been important to them and touched their hearts and you know languages from those cultures or maybe it's your native language we would love for you to pray with us in your language that means so much to you so yeah now it's dan's turn to bring us the kids message thanks dan thank you rachel all right kids please come up if you would like so the kids are all invited up you can sit with your parents if you prefer but you guys are all invited um, I see some kids in the back. Uh, Clara, do you want to come up and join us, or do you want to sit? Some kids are immersed in their reading, and that's okay, too. Okay. Um, so, did you guys hear what day this is? Do, do any of you remember or not? Yes! Pentecost! Very good. Um, and it's named after the 50 days um, that you count. Um, you could also count 49, and then it's called the Festival of Weeks because it's seven weeks of seven days. Um, but it's this time where you count and you're waiting um, for something. And at Pentecost, Jesus told the disciples after he was raised from the dead, which is what we celebrated at Easter, to wait um, for uh, the Spirit to come. And so that's what happened, and we celebrate that today. Um, and at the same time, we're also starting to study a book of the Bible called Matthew. And Matthew starts with a genealogy, and Matthew's genealogy starts with Abraham. Do, do any of you guys know anything about Abraham? Yes, okay. Hmm. That's right, God told him to leave his, his uh, lands behind, right? And to sort of go on this big adventure and leave everything behind, yeah. And then God said that because you did that, and he was kind of like, like um, a migrant, like a lot of the people we help are immigrants in this church, right? And so he was kind of a migrant and an immigrant. Uh, he was, in fact. Um, and God said that through him, all of the families of the world and all of the nations of the world would be blessed. Um, and on Pentecost, God helped see how that started happening in a new way. Um, and so during that time between Abraham and the time of Jesus, his people, Abraham's uh, followers and children and people who worshipped his God had been scattered all around the world, um, the known world at the time. Um, and they were scattered kind of like seeds. And one of my favorite signs in town, if you go down uh, to the south side of town, um, you can see a sign that says, they tried to bury us, but they didn't realize that we were seeds. What do you think that means? What does that mean to you guys? Is it, yeah, Clara. 
They tried to kill you, but really they were just helping you. Yeah, and different empires had come. They were sort of in the middle of all these empires, and people had come and conquered them and spread them all around the world to where they were sort of part of different cultures and learning different languages. Um, and some people were coming to follow the God of Abraham from those places. Um, and it turns out that that didn't mean that they were all killed. Now, do you guys think Jesus was also kind of buried at the time? And then did Jesus kind of come back like a seed too? Yeah, so this is like that. And so this is what happens on Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, this is from Acts 2, uh, come Holy Spirit, fill the reading of your word. They were all together in one place, so Jesus' disciples. And the, how do you guys think they were feeling after everything they'd seen? Do you think maybe they felt kind of confused? They'd seen like their leader die and then be raised, and then he said, wait. Yeah, I think they were confused and maybe hopeful. And then suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Can you guys give me some mighty rushing wind sounds? And it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as of fire. Can you guys do like a fire gesture? Can you imagine like some kind of fire forming around your head appeared to them and rested on each of them and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. Okay, you be the fire. Do you want to run around and do fire on all the other kids? and speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So can you guys try, I want you to try something, because the Spirit is also the Spirit that's in each of us, just keeping us alive. Can you guys try to talk without breathing at all? Is it, is it sound kind of like this? You guys try it too? It's, there's like no power to your words, right? If you don't have any breath. Yeah, and so the Spirit gives them the ability. Yeah, and the Spirit gives it's, it's impossible to talk without breathing. The sound waves don't travel through the air. That's right. But so the Spirit gives them the power not only to speak like we normally speak, but to speak and understand each other uh, in a new way, even in other languages. So now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? That's where Jesus was from. It was the, like the farmland, right, um, in Israel. And, now, and how is it that we hear each of us in our own native tongue, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pomphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and even visitors from Rome? both Jewish people and proselytes. So proselytes were like people who were, were wanting to follow their God, and that doesn't mean that they became Jewish, but they were honoring the God of Abraham too and being blessed by him. <clears throat> Cretans and Arabians, and actually, so Sai, I just especially want to thank you for praying this morning, and uh, the last group named in that list there were speaking the language that Sai prayed with us in. Isn't that cool? Um, and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. And the word for this new wine, it's, it's like um, glucose is kind of what it sounds like, which you guys might recognize glucose, especially if you have to monitor your diabetes, right? It's the word for sugar. So the new wine was really, really sweet. It's actually, it was probably, new wine is probably closer to the grape juice that we have when we take communion. It would have been very difficult to get drunk on. It was probably almost kid-friendly. Um, <laughs> so if someone thought they were getting drunk on it, they would have had to drink a lot, probably. Um, <laughs> way too much. 
And, and they said, no, that's not what's happening. Um, but I think that this passage makes us think of a story from Jesus. And I'm going to close with this one. Um, so Jesus taught that you don't pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and so both are preserved. Yeah, what is a wineskin? So they would have these skins, and they would put wine in, and as you put in fresh, like basically grape juice, it would expand, and it would slowly ferment and become alcoholic. But then afterwards, that wineskin wasn't ready to expand anymore. But what I love about this story is that, so God was doing something new, right? And there were a lot of people who were ready to receive it and to be part of it. Um, And that's awesome. But part of what Matthew reminds us of is that sometimes when something as new is happening and when God is doing something new, sometimes some people like aren't ready for it. And I really like the way Matthew is gentle towards people on that side too. And it says, when you put new wine in new wineskins, like your brains, so your kids' brains are kind of like new wineskins. Does that make sense? You're like ready to receive all kinds of new ideas and absorb new things. You don't like that term, that's fair. But your brains are ready to receive all kinds of new stuff from God, which is really cool. But part of what Matthew's read on this encourages you to do is to be patient with us grown-ups if our brains are kind of old and aren't able to receive new things. So can you guys be patient with us too, even if our brains are always kind of old? All right. So we love you guys a ton. We're going to head upstairs and we're going to explore Abraham and what the story is about even more. And we are so grateful to have uh, my good friend Jake um, preaching and teaching this morning. So, Jake. Good morning, friends. Thanks, one person that said good morning back. Uh, Sai, amazing. Thank you so much for gifting us with that prayer. It was beautiful. It was really beautiful. I'm thankful for a church that allows us, or, or not allows us, that's a weird phrase, gives us the opportunity to be exposed to prayers from different cultures and different languages. It's such a beautiful expression of the kingdom of God, of the community of God that transcends border, transcends language, transcends ethnicity, transcends heritage. Um, It is just really remarkable to be able to hear perspectives like that and to hear different connections and uh, uh, ways of communicating with God. So I'm, I'm very thankful for that. This morning, I get to preach on the genealogy of Jesus, so buckle up. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, Jeff told me that, that we're going through a series on the genealogy of Jesus, which is in the book of Matthew. It's in the first chapter. It's the very first thing. If you're unfamiliar with what a genealogy is, it's as exciting as it sounds. It's a list of people who are related to people who are related to other people who are related to other people that tells a family lineage. Um, I do think that the genealogy of Jesus is really quite fascinating and interesting. Um, And this morning, we're not going to go through the whole thing, so don't worry about that. We're going to go through the very first character in the genealogy of Jesus, which is a person named Abraham. And to really understand what is happening in the genealogy, to understand what the writer of the book of Matthew is communicating when he begins his letter and says, this is the heritage, the lineage, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, beginning with Abraham, we really have to understand the story of Abraham. 
So to understand the story, we're going to talk about a few things this morning. This morning, we're going to talk about Genesis and tribes. After we talk about Genesis and tribes, we're going to talk about the stories behind the story. And after we talk about the stories behind the story, we're going to talk about a word called berit and butchers. That's going to be a pretty fun one. And then after that, we're going to talk about you and us and what all of this means today. So first, let's talk about Genesis and tribes. And let's talk about what the book of Genesis is. If you're familiar, the book of Genesis is the first book that's found in our Bible. An interesting, fascinating story filled with lots of different um, hard-to-understand concepts and difficult-to-come-to-terms-with-dynamics of who God is and who the people of God are. Now, the reason I tell you that is because Genesis was not really written down in a single setting. The book of Genesis was an oral tradition passed around from generation to generation. So these stories would be told around campfires, and they would be told to people as a way of reminding them, of calling them to consider something different and new. They were delivered to a very specific group of people. And what the intent of these stories was to communicate was there's something beyond us that we are trying to put definition to, an expression behind. There's something flowing through the world, through the good and through the bad that is beyond us, that is different from us, that is deeper than us. And we are calling this thing, this energy, this life, this force, we are calling it God. And we believe that this God has a way of communicating with us as people. And he has things that he wants us to do. And he has things that he wants us to be about. And what are those things that we are to do? And what are those things that we are to be about? The book of Genesis, the stories of Genesis, are really ancient stories trying to come to terms with what God is and more specifically who God is. The reason that's very important is because early in the story of Genesis, we come across a character named Abraham. And specifically, he was named Abram at first. He gets called Abraham later. We'll talk about that another day. But we meet Abraham kind of out of nowhere in the story. Kind of like Jesus, there's a story of genealogy in the book of Genesis that leads up to this character named Abraham. And what's interesting about the genealogy of Abraham that you learn right before we get into the chapter we'll talk about this morning is that Abraham's father was a merchant. But Abraham's father was a specific type of merchant. He was a seller, a creator and seller of idols. He was a man, their family was a family, who profited off of the crafting of statues and selling them to people who would pray to the statues and sacrifice to the statues. Now, if you depart from the Bible, hang with me for a second, and follow ancient rabbinic literature, there's a tradition that says that one day when Abraham was a teenager, he found the whole idea of idol worship folly, and he found it kind of ridiculous. 
which makes sense, right? Because he saw his dad making these statues and crafting these things and then selling them and people sacrificing the best things that they had to sacrifice in front of those statues, believing that those statues would somehow enlarge in their family or bring about a better crop or give them new food or give them more power. And so Abraham one day, when his father is away, takes a hammer and smashes all of the idols except for the biggest idol. And he places the hammer in the biggest idol's hand. And when his father comes back, his father is desolate. He's beside himself. Their, their way of making money has been compromised. And he says, Abraham, what have you done? What have you done to our family? And he says, well, I didn't do it. This idol, who's the strongest idol, smashed all the other idols. And his father says, that's ridiculous. These are just carvings made from, made from wood and made from stone. They don't have any power. And that's a story that teaches us the type of person that Abraham is, who asked questions that were maybe larger than what he uh, was exposed to in that day. And so in this story of Genesis, we find this character named Abraham. And right away, the Bible tells us, the scripture introduces us to him by letting us know who his father is, and then says, and then one day, God came and spoke to Abraham. Now, there's something really important that happens there that we take for granted because we've been exposed to the Bible for a long time. This is really quite fascinating. Abraham has not done anything in this message to earn communication with God. Abraham has not, at this point, prepared a sacrifice. He has not repented of his wrongs and his wrongdoings. He's not said a prayer. He's not shouted to the heavens to come near and and for God to come and, and speak to him. In this story, automatically, the original hearers of the story would have leaned in a little bit closer. They would have said, wait a second. What's happening here? Why is... God talking to this Abraham. And the message is really interesting. If we can throw up that that message, I'm terrible at remembering things. Um, Hey, Hey, Carlton. Thank you, sir. So this this is a passage. The Lord had said to Abraham, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who treat you with contempt. And all the families on earth will be blessed through you. Now, at this point in the story, the original hearers would have been on the edges of their seat. What is happening here? This God is reaching out to this man, this typical common man from an unrighteous background, from an insignificant history. And he is saying, I will make your name great and famous, and I will cause your name to spread throughout the earth. People would have understood that to be really quite um, revolutionary. God is talking to a man, and specifically this God is telling this man that he will do something for him. In the ancient times, that's not how gods and people worked. People had this way of believing that gods were always angry at them, 
that the gods were these kind of powerful somewhere else beings who at the flip of a dime or at the turn of a motion would inflict calamity, would inflict drought, would inflict floods. They would punish people consistently. And in that system of understanding the gods, people began to believe that the way to appease those gods, the way to make them a little less angry, would be to sacrifice something. And you couldn't just sacrifice something. You had to sacrifice the best of something that you had. So that's in the air when you read the book of Genesis. All of this is context that we entirely miss when we read the Bible today because we're removed from that culture. We're removed from that understanding. But it's really imperative. It's important for us to grasp what's happening, what the story behind the story actually is. So there's also another really fascinating thing happening. There's another nuance, because of course there's another nuance in the book of Genesis. In this passage, not only is all of that unfolding, but there's also this line at the end. Oh, wait. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. This was an extraordinary revolutionary idea. This God is telling this man to go away from his home, to leave his country behind. But why? Not to form a new country with new walls and new militaries and new structures and new power dynamics, but to travel through the earth blessing the other peoples of the earth. This was another extraordinary revolutionary idea. In the ancient times, you sought power. God was on your side if you had a large kingdom. God was on your side if you defeated all of your enemies and if you plundered their goods and claimed them on your own. The gods were one with the powerful people and those gods wanted those people to be more powerful. But in this story, that's not the story. This God is saying, I want you not to seek power, but to be a blessing to others. A new sort of tribe inhabiting the earth that doesn't claim to be the most powerful tribe, that doesn't oppress and tear down and destroy and kill, but instead brings life and beauty and goodness and kindness and compassion. All of a sudden, in this one statement, in the call to Abraham, the hearers of the original story would have been on the edges of their seats saying, this is something different and something new. Now, let's talk for a second about this word called berit. Berit is an ancient Hebrew term. And berit means uh, loosely covenant, but more specifically means transaction or business deal. Now, in the ancient times, there weren't police, at least I don't think, um, I'm not really an ancient scholar. There weren't like really clear cut rules with what was right and wrong and how you made a deal with someone. So if you wanted to go into a contract or an engagement with someone and make a deal, 
There was this really early primitive culture, um, this primitive act that you would embark upon. What you would do is each side of the, the deal, each side of the transaction, each party, would take a livestock, an animal, such as a goat or a ram, and they would come together in a field, and they would, apologies in advance, cut the animals in half. And they would lay the animals in between them, one half of the animal here, the other half here. Both parties would walk between the carcasses of these animals. And they would say, if I break my end of this transaction, if I do not live up to the deal that I am making with you, may the same thing happen to me that has happened to these animals. Now, why am I telling you that? Because that happens to Abraham about 10 years after this story that we just heard. So one interesting thing about this story and the call of Abraham, Jeff asked me to preach about the call of Abraham. There are actually three times in the book of Genesis that Abraham is called by God with the same exact call. The first one that we read just a second ago happened when he was 70 years old and childless. The next one happened after God made a covenant with Abraham about 15 years later. When God brought the animals together, he had Abraham bring the animals. They split the animals in half. And in that story, Abraham does not walk through the carcasses of the animals. That's a really disgusting thing to say in a sermon. I'm sorry. I don't know how else to phrase it. In that story... God stops Abraham from walking down the path. And instead, a fire pot or a symbol of God's presence goes through the path or goes through the path on the behalf of both parties. This is a way in the story of saying something important. What is being communicated to the original hearers is that this God has not just called this people to do something different. This God actually is something different because he's making a deal with these humans and in essence what he is communicating is he is communicating I am bearing both sides of the responsibility it is on me to do the right things within this covenant it is on you to follow it is on you to walk with me so it's another important story that communicates God is up to something here. This God is doing something different. He's doing something new. He's doing something fresh. The third and final covenant or call that Abraham receives is after this other horrific story. And all of this will make sense in a second. The other horrific story in Abraham's life happens about uh, when he is about 30, 40 years, 50 years, I think, after the first call. So the first call, he was 70. 15 years later, the carcass thing, and now he's an old man, old in life. Still childless. Still childless at this point. Across all of that time, God had been calling him, saying, I will make your name great, and your descendants will inherit and populate and bless the earth. And Abraham's like, cool. 
I don't have any descendants. We should probably work on that. Abraham is born a son. We'll skip all the details of that fascinating story. And Isaac is his son. And there comes a day when this God calls Abraham to account. And he says, Abraham, it is time. I want you to sacrifice Isaac on the altar. Now, again, any time, in my opinion, and I'm just a dude, so there's nothing special about me. So bear all of this with a grain of salt. But I believe that any time in the Bible something weird happens, you should probably ask, what's really happening? Especially in the Old Testament. Because there are so many stories in the Old Testament where it seems like God is kind of a douchebag. And you're like, what is, is that, is that what God is like? Is that real? And I think, I mean, I, I say it like kind of jokingly, but also very seriously. Because all of us in all of our lives, I think, face several moments where we're conflicted with something and we ask ourselves, is that really what God is like? Is that who God is? That's what's happening in all these stories in Genesis. It's a way of getting people to open up their minds to ask, what is God actually like? Now, if you follow this story of Abraham sacrificing Isaac, some really interesting things happen. First of all, Abraham doesn't say anything in contrast to that. He's just like, okay, I guess this is what we're doing. And he says, all right, we'll depart in the morning. I'll bundle up the wood. We'll take the rams and we'll go on our way to sacrifice my son. So why doesn't Abraham think that this is weird? Why doesn't Abraham think that God is being an, an angry or, or, or mean God or doing something wrong? And why does Abraham know exactly where to go? Why does he know exactly what to take with him? None of that is in the story. The reason is because during that time, it was common practice for a specific God and a specific group of gods to ask their people to sacrifice their children. And there was a mountain on which you went to sacrifice your children. Remember the system where God is angry and we have to give our best to appease that God so that we can continue to be alive and live? If you follow that system to its conclusion, it eventually goes from sacrificing crops to sacrificing animals to sacrificing people because that's the most precious thing that you have to offer. And so the hearers of the story would have been following the story and they would have said, of course, of course, that's what's going to happen because that's what the gods always expect. It's what the gods always demand. But a really fascinating thing happens as we know. Abraham goes up to the mountain. He takes Isaac with him. He makes Isaac carry the wood, which is kind of sick. Um, they get to the point of sacrifice. Abraham puts Isaac on the makeshift altar and as he's in the act of beginning the sacrifice, God stops him and says, Abraham, wait, do not sacrifice your child. Look in the thicket. There is a ram. Go get the ram and sacrifice the ram. Because of your faithfulness, I will make your name great. Your people will inherit the earth. Your descendants will be numerous as the stars and your people will bless all people 
in all the world. The reason that is really important in this story, it's not really a testament of Abraham's ungodly faith to do something completely horrific in the name of God. It's actually a story about who God is. This God is not like those gods. This God is not expecting that. He's doing something new and doing something different. This is the story of Abraham, a story of a man who interacts and communicates with a God whom which a new tribe is originated in the earth, a tribe that begins to season the earth in lots of different ways, a tribe who is called to be a new kind of human, a new kind of person in this world, which brings us back to the genealogy of Jesus. All of that is in the mind when you read that one statement, Jesus' lineage begins with Abraham, which is a way of the author in the book of Matthew saying, this Jesus is kind of like that story. This kingdom that we will talk about is kind of like those people. This is something new and something different. It's a way right out of the gate in the book of Matthew of the author saying there is a cosmic joke and we're all in on the punchline. That God is not who we thought he was. He is someone, something different. And he's up to something new. What does that mean for me and you? That was very Dr. Seuss. It means that we also are called to consider God differently. To be a people who perceive that God's prerogative for us, that God's priority for us, is not to build larger structures and larger systems and larger powerful regimes for ourselves. His call is for us to believe that we, like the descendants of Jesus and the descendants of Abraham, are a people who will bless the other peoples of the earth. That we will be, as Jesus says later in the book, we will be the salt that flavors the earth. We will be the light in the darkness. All of these terms have been confiscated by lots of people in the name of religion in our history. There have been terrible acts of torture and violence and oppression that have taken place under the guise of people believing that God was telling them to do that thing. And I just ask us to consider this morning to be a different type of people than all of those types of people. To be a people who live in the fullness and goodness of God, who look for the people most unlike us and love them unconditionally, who seek not to give ourselves power and privilege and life, but to give away the life that we have so that others will live more fully. I pray that each of you will have moments in your life where you encounter the goodness of God through an extraordinary act of love of someone else. But more than that, 
I pray that your life will show the imagio di, the image of God, to someone else because our world now desperately needs all of us living the goodness of God in our neighborhoods and in our communities. I want to, I think, do communion. Kelly, do you want to do communion? Kelly will do communion. Do you have a microphone? If you guys would, would stand. Okay. So we do communion every Sunday to remember about Jesus. Um, so with his last supper with his 12 disciples, he took the bread and passed it around. As he passed around, he says, when you eat this bread, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. Then after he ate the bread, he passed wine around. He says, drink this wine, for this is my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. And do it until I come back. So everyone, enjoy.